All right, how's everybody doing? I don't know about you, but uh, I love our band, and it's so awesome to see George behind the drums every once in a while. Uh, <laughs> it's cool to be back with you guys. Uh, it's been a super hectic week for me this week, um, preparing for this message, catching up with a, a week of work. I was actually at Disney uh, for a week. My son Joshua, he was turning five, and so we packed up the family and headed over to the happiest place on earth. Um, and uh, with three kids, it could be a, a challenge uh, to go to Disney, but we did have a great time. And, and let me tell you a little bit about Joshua, my uh, middle child who just turned five. This boy is wild. Not only is he wild, but he's so brave. I mean, we went on every single roller coaster together. We went on Tower of Terror, all right? We went on uh, Splash Mountain, Thunder Mountain, Space Mountain. I mean, any roller coaster that, that, that uh, we saw, this kid's like, I want to go on it. I want to go on it. We went on Everest. And let me tell you, I hadn't been on Everest for a couple of years, and it freaked me out. I forgot that there was a part of the ride that goes backwards, and that totally uh, caught me out of left field. I actually brought a little uh, Instagram video that I took of us when we were on the ride. Check it out. What he says at the end is, I survived Everest, but, you know, Instagram, I think, is only like 15 seconds. And so you missed that part. This kid is fearless. I mean, I was so proud of him as a dad. And some people were saying, oh, there was like a seven-year-old. I'm like, this kid's four. He was still four when we rode that. He actually turned five at the end of our trip. Um, the other day, we're at the beach with our family, and we're having a great time, and we're hanging out. The kids are playing, swimming in the ocean. And all of a sudden, this lady... She, she runs out of the water and she starts screaming, shark, shark, there's a shark in the water. And everybody starts rushing out and, and my wife gathers all the kids and, and I'm looking, I'm trying to see the fin of the shark. I'm thinking this is so cool. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, I hear my wife screaming, Joshua, Joshua, what are you doing? What are you doing? And you see Joshi running, putting on his snorkel and his mask, and he's running into the water, and we grab him, and we say, Joshi, what are you doing? Are you crazy? And he's like, Mommy, I want to go see the shark. I'm running to go see the shark, and we're, are you crazy? This thing's going to eat you up. However, the other night at about 3 o'clock in the morning, I hear these little steps running into my room. I, I hear a door slam shut, and... and and I look, and it kind of freaks me out. All of a sudden, you wake up in the middle of the night, there's like a face right next to your face. And, uh, and Josh, he's crying. And I'm like, buddy, what happened? And he's like, Papi, can, can you just hold me? He's like, Papi, can, can I get into bed with you, and can you just hold me so I can fall asleep? And I'm like, buddy, what happened? And he's like, I had a bad dream. I just need you to hold me. You know, I, I couldn't believe it. The same kid that a, a couple days ago was on Everest with me, the same kid that when there was a shark in the water and grown men are crying, running out of the ocean, he's running into the water with his mask to go see the shark in the middle of the night. He's crying because of a silly little dream. You see, we've all been there. We've all been scared. We've all had moments in our life when we needed someone to come to the rescue. Times when we've needed comfort. And, and, and there's times that this world 
it, it lays heavy on us and, and the problems of this world wear us down and we're tired and we're hurting and we need someone to come to our rescue. We need someone to comfort us. And a lot of times the comfort that we get isn't even enough. See, we've all had incredible highs in our life and then out of left field, out of nowhere, the rug is pulled from under our feet and we're like, where did that come from? Has that ever happened to anyone? Things are going good in life and then out of nowhere, something happens, a problem happens, a trial, a test comes and we fall apart and we become broken and we become sad and we just need someone to be there for us, to comfort us. See, today I'm going to be sharing a message with you that I've titled Open Arms. And I want to talk to you about a God that is ready to comfort you, that is ready to be there with you and help you out of whatever situation you may find yourself in today. The very same way that at 3 o'clock in the morning the other night, Joshi came and his father with open arms hugged him and just prayed for him and held him in his warm arms until he fell asleep. See, today we're going to take a look at one of my favorite psalms. Psalms 91. And many scholars believe that Psalms 91 was written by Moses. And, and, and I believe that as well. I lean towards that. And so I think in light of that, before we can really understand what Psalms 91 is trying to tell us, I think we need to look at the life of Moses. Who was Moses? Let me tell you something. Moses was born in one of the craziest times that any little boy could be born. In the time that he was born in the, in the, for the children of Israel. They were slaves in Egypt. They had been captive in Egypt for years. And the Egyptians were looking at the children of God, at the men of God, and they were saying, hey, these guys are strong. And they're growing in number. One day these guys are going to be strong enough to take over our kingdom and take our riches and take our homes and take everything that we have. You know what we got to do? And they had a great plan. We got to kill all the baby boys. And that's what Moses, that's the type of environment Moses was born in. Talk about a hostile environment. And his mom did, we all know what she did. She put him in a little basket and put him in the Nile River. And I don't know about you, but have you ever seen a Nile crocodile? All right? So it's like throwing fresh bait into this river, this gigantic river. All right? The biggest river in the world. Putting baby Moses in there. And of anyone that he could have bumped into... The princess of Egypt, the daughter of the Pharaoh, finds him. And he lives for 40 years as a king, as a prince, at the top of the food chain. Had everything he'd ever wanted. And he goes back to his roots and and he says, hey, you know what? These aren't really my people. My people are the slaves out there. And he saw the injustice that was happening out there. And he became frustrated. And and what does the Bible teach us? That he goes out and he actually kills an Egyptian out of his frustration. And then he runs. And he runs. And he runs into the desert. And let me tell you a little bit about this desert. It's not like, you know, desert springs. It's not a, a luxury resort in the middle of the desert. This guy is going somewhere he's never been. This is like a pretty boy, okay, that had everything he ever wanted at, at his fingertips. And he goes into the desert. And the Bible teaches us that he's a shepherd for 40 years and he's working for this man named Jethro. And then eventually he marries the boss's daughter. So now he's inheriting a business and, and his life is pretty much set for him. You know, he's going to inherit the family business, live in the desert. He's having kids. There's peace. The Egyptians aren't going to find him. And then he runs into a little problem. 
he runs into a bush. And not George Bush, but a burning bush. And look at what the Bible says about what, what this, this encounter that Moses has in Exodus 1. It says, one day Moses was tending to the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. And suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared to him as a blazing fire in a bush. Moses was amazed because the bush was engulfed in flames, but it didn't burn up. I want you to pay close attention to this because this moment in his life changed everything. God got his attention. It changed everything in his life. That burning bush was the turning point in the life of Moses. So you and I are probably never going to bump into a burning bush that doesn't consume. But let me explain what the real meaning of this burning bush was. What is it that was actually happening in the life of Moses? This burning bush experience. See, the burning bush experience is that in the midst of Moses' routine, normal, everyday living, God showed up. You see, this wasn't just an ordinary bush. There was hundreds of bushes all over this desert that Moses walked by every single day. If he lived there for 40 years, that means 14,600 mornings. Moses walked by probably that same little dried up tree. And now this, in the midst of his routine, when he least expected it, God showed up. God invited him. Hey, Moses, sometimes in the midst of our routine, of our day-to-day life, God's trying to get our attention. And what made this bush extraordinary wasn't the fire. It wasn't that it was burning up. It was that God God's presence was there. The presence of God was in the center of that bush. And I love what God said. He said, hey, Moses, slow down. Take off your sandals because the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. All right. There, there's there's a, a condition if you want to get this close to me. And it's a, you got to get those dirty shoes off and, and come and hear. And, and I have a few things that I want to tell you. See, God's presence, it changes everything. It caused that bush to catch on fire but not be consumed. It can cause our lives to catch on fire and not be consumed. You see, God, the very same way he wanted to do something in the life of Moses, God wants to do something in our life. And what does God tell Moses at that moment? God tells Moses, hey, Moses, you know what? You remember the king of Egypt that wants to kill you? You remember your stepbrother that, you know, you really didn't like that much growing up as a kid? I need you to go back there. And he's like, what are you talking about, God? I've been here for 40 years. I've settled down. I'm about to inherit this uh, good business from my father-in-law. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? I need you to go back. And I need you to go and tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. To pretty much give you his kingdom. Because the Egyptians for years, they, they weren't doing nothing. They were sitting around as the children of God labored for them and worked for them for free. So go there and take their entire workforce and say, let my people go. And Moses is like, God, I can't do that. Who am I? How many times has God asked you to do something or you felt God prompting you to do something and you you say, God, I can't do that. Maybe one of the pastors can do that or someone in my family can do that, but, but I can't do that. Who am I? And you know what God tells him? He says it here in Exodus 3. God told him. I will be with you. It doesn't matter who you are. It's who I am and what I can do through you. You see, when I show you that video of Joshi and I was talking about Joshi and how brave he was, to be honest with you, I I was a little scared. 
You know, every time we'd go on one of these rides and I'd see people getting off the ride about to throw up, I, I'd say, hey, Joshy, are you sure you want to do this? Aren't you scared? And I was kind of hoping, I mean, I'm 35 years old. I hadn't been on that many roller coasters in a really long time. All right? And, uh, and he's like, Papi, you know, whenever I'm with you, I'm not scared. All right? So it's not who he is, it's who his father is. And that's the same thing that God is telling Moses. Forget about who you are. I'm with you. I'm with you. And, and when I say who sent me, Moses asked, what did, what did God say? Tell them that I am sent you. You see, and it was at that moment when Moses accepted who was sending him. When he received that authority that God was giving him. When he believed that, when he stepped out in faith is when God began to do a work in and through his life. See, we see a staff turning into a snake. We see all these plagues in Egypt. All these miracles that were happening, even though there were plagues against the Egyptian people, was the power of God and how God was able to prove to them that he was the God of Israel. And if they did not obey the God of Israel, these were going to be the consequences. Frogs everywhere, gnats everywhere, flies, locusts. I mean, it was crazy, crazy hailstorms. When the angel of death was, was coming upon Egypt and all the firstborn children of the Egyptians were dying, the children of God were saved through the leadership of Moses. We see the Red Sea parting. I mean, that could have been the most incredible sight anyone could have ever seen. These guys are at a dead end. And Moses is saying, yo, God, you told me to go talk to, to, to Pharaoh and I didn't want to go. And look, now you've had me lead God's people to a dead end. What do I do? And then the Red Sea parts. And every single one of them crosses the Red Sea. And they're, they're looking at these walls of, of water around them. And as soon as the last one was on the other side, what happened? Those walls collapsed. And all the people that were chasing him, all the people that were accusing them, drowned. They were covered. Not by the Red Sea, but by the power of God. See, that's, that's the Moses that, that we're talking about. That's the Moses that wrote this song to God. When they were thirsty, out of a dry rock came rushing water. When they were hungry, they'd wake up and the food would just be there. God was there. He led them through the desert in the day by a cloud and at night by fire. That is the God of Moses. And today we're talking about this guy that was probably just remembering everything that God had done in his life and that God was doing in the life of the children of Israel. And he sat down and he began to worship God. And that's what Psalm 91 is. And I believe that more than a song, this is our burning bush experience. For us today, I believe that as we begin to read this today out of the word of God, that God is going to appear in our lives and show us this is how powerful I am. This is the God whom you serve. The God that nothing is impossible for. That's who I am. And so I, I, I want today to be more than just a regular Sunday. I want this reading that we're going to do now more than, to be more than just a regular reading, more than just a regular song, but that this would be a burning bush experience in our life when we least expected it in the middle of our routine. For a lot of you, you wake up every Sunday and you show up to church. It's what you do. You know what? God's going to show up here today and he's going to break the routine and he's going to speak into your life. Are you ready for God to do that in your life today? Are you ready? Let's begin reading Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. 
my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. I could just imagine him remembering that day when the Red Sea closed on, the, on Pharaoh's army. And just, you will only see with your eyes the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him. And show him my salvation. This is God's plan for your life. I want you to say that with me. This is God's plan for my life. This is God's plan for my life. Say it one more time. This is God's plan for my life. This is what God wants to give you. These are the blessings that God wants to give you. These, this is the protection that God wants to give you. But if this is God's plan for your life, let me, let me uh, kind of wake you up from this awesome dream, this awesome experience. The devil also has a plan for your life. The very same way that God has a plan for your life. Satan has a plan for your life. And look at what the Bible says that his plan is. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. These are the devil's plans for your life. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy those that are around you. He wants to kill your dreams. He wants to rip the blessings of God away from us. You see, he knows Psalms 91. He knows that if we begin to live our lives this way, if we begin to believe the promises of God, the promises that are stated here, he's out of gas. There's no way that he can defeat us. See, Satan knows Psalm 91 so much that you know what? When Satan tempts Jesus in the desert, when Jesus, right before Jesus started his ministry, he's in the desert in a fast. He's weak and Satan quoted these words to him. We can go there in Matthew 4. It says, next, the devil took Jesus to the holy city and had him stand on the highest part of the temple. And the devil said, if you're the son of God, jump off. The scripture says, Psalms 91 says, God will give his angels orders about you. They will catch you in their arms. And you won't hurt your feet on a stone. See, God's intentions for us is for us to have a victorious life, to have a blessed life. God's intentions for us is that we can possess the promises here in Psalms 91. One of my favorite parts of Psalms 91 is a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. But it shall not come near you. Think about that. The angel of death going over Egypt. Thousands of people dying. And none will come near you. Death will not 
come near you, the promises of God. And you're probably like, uh, Pastor Mark, uh, I like that. I want it. But it's not my reality. That's, that's not what I'm experiencing. I'm, I'm going through some of the toughest moments of my life right now. My faith is being tested. My health is being tested. My family is being tested. There's so many things happening in my life right now. I love that and I want it, but it is not my reality. You see, it's a package deal. You want to experience the, experience the blessings of God? Then we need to do what verse 9 says. It says, if you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. See, there's a lot of us that we know a lot about God. I mean, there's some of you here that could probably take me to school today when it comes to the Bible and what the Bible says and, and everything, every single story, every single promise. You know it. There's a lot of you, man, you're here at church more than I am. I mean, you never miss a Sunday, but you know what? Going to Krispy Kreme doesn't make you a donut. All right? Going to Taco Bell doesn't make you a burrito. You'll probably start looking like one, but you're not going to become a burrito. You're not dwelling with God. And the word dwells, it comes and it's translated by this, a quiet, a resting, an enduring, a remaining with consistency. It's very similar to the word abide, which we see in the New Testament. Jesus said, he who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, will be blessed. That's what fruit means in the Bible. It's blessings. You will have good fruit. You will have the blessings of God. He who abides in me. And that word abides means to stay, to stay where you are, to stay in a given place, to maintain unbroken fellowship and communion with one another. And here's what God is saying. If you want to experience the promises of Psalms 91, my protection, my provision, my blessings, you must dwell in the secret place of the Most High. You must be, remain in constant fellowship with me. See, we have fellowship with God because we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we, we turn from our sin. There, there are so many of us that have made that decision. But are we living in constant fellowship with God? See, there's some of us here today that can say that, hey, you are. I, I am living in constant fellowship with God. See, God is interested in a relationship with you. Not just on Sundays, but throughout the entire week. He wants to dwell he, with you in that secret place. He wants to cover you with his wings. But you're not going to experience the blessings of God if you keep wandering off. If you keep doing whatever it is that you want to do. Have you ever had this happen to you? You're somewhere, you're at a party, you're at an event. And right when you leave, someone famous shows up or the good food comes out or something incredible happens. And people are like, I can't believe you left. Right when you left, this happened. And you're like, oh, am I the only one that that's happened to? You know, um, you guys know that LeBron James has a store at Aventura Mall. I'm not trying to make him any more money than he already has. But every time I go there, I go by the store. It's called Unknown, right? And, and I just go and I go. And my wife's like, why are you going there? You never buy anything. And I'm just, oh, I just like looking around. And, you know, who knows? LeBron may show up. And I follow the store on my Instagram. And so every once in a while you look and, you know, uh, there's like famous people there and stuff. And, and I'm like scanning through and see who's there. You know, I do that all the time. And the other day I was there, but we were in a rush. I had to be somewhere. And so I kind of just walked by. I looked. LeBron wasn't there. You know, walked by the Cheesecake Factory and, and went to our car. All right. And like 15 minutes later, I'm at a red light on 163rd, all right, on my way home. 
And I opened my Instagram because that's what you do when you're in the car, right, with your kids in the back. And, uh, and so it, it was a red light, I think. And, uh, and I'm looking, and LeBron was at the store. They're like, look who just showed up. LeBron James was there, but, but I didn't have enough time to wait, to stay, to remain. And because I didn't remain, I didn't experience that. See, sometimes we don't experience the power of God because we are not dwelling with God. We're not spending fellowship. We're not spending quality time with God. We got to remain in constant fellowship with God if we want to experience all of the blessings of God. And so the question that I'm sure all of us want to know is, how do I remain in constant fellowship with God? The first thing that we need to do is we need to surrender our lives to God. See, there's some of you here today that you've never given your life to Jesus before. You've been living life however it is that you want to live, making your own decisions. And the only time you think of God is when something bad happens so you can blame him. In a couple minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity, and I want you to start stewing on this, to actually give your life to Jesus and surrender your entire life to God. You know, uh, my uncle, he was a wrestler in high school. He's an old man now, but, but uh, when he was in high school, he was a wrestler. I have no idea if he was any good. All I know is that when I was a kid, he loved messing with me. He loved putting me on a headlock and rolling around with me in, in the backyard and, and making me scream for my grandmother, Mamita, help. You know, he loved that. He loved beating the snot out of me. And I remember every single time, you know, I have like this like grass in my mouth and dirt in my eyes and I'm all beat up. And I'm walking into my grandmother's house all defeated because my older uncle had beat the snot out of me. All I could think about is one day. I'm going to be bigger than him because he's a short little guy. He's like 5'7". One day I'm going to be bigger than him and I'm going to beat the snot out of him. And I kind of want to say another word, but I won't. Um, and so uh, one day he kind of shows up and a couple years later than when he used to really beat me up. And he shows up and I'm still a kid. I'm six foot now, but at the time I was probably like 5'6 six, six or something. And my grandmother tells him, she's like, Oye, ahorita tú no vas a poder con Marquito. She, she says, I will translate uh, pretty soon you're not going to be able to beat up Marquito or little Mark. You're not going to be able to beat him up anymore. And, and, I didn't, and I said, no, ahora. Ahora yo puedo con él. Now I can beat him up right now. And as soon as those words left my mouth, you know, I don't know why I did that. He put me in a headlock and he started beating me up right there, dragged me into the, into the backyard and started rolling around with me in the grass. And he said, come on, if you can't take it, tap out. If you can't take it, you little girl, just say, I give up. I surrender. And I'm like, and I'm trying. And I'm like, man, I'm almost bigger than him. How come I can't do it? And eventually I couldn't even breathe. And I said, I give up. I surrender. I give up. See, the same way that I, I, my, I couldn't beat up my uncle, there's a lot of us here today that we think that we can do life our own way. The same way that that little punk kid so many years ago thought that he could take the old man. There's a lot of us today that are trying to do life on our own, the way that we think, the way that we want. And we continue to do whatever we want and then we still expect the blessings of God to come. Proverbs 3, 5 says this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding on what you think is the right thing. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. You want the blessings of God in your life. You need to surrender. You need to say, I give up, God. 
I'm going to trust you. See, the reason we don't surrender everything to God is because we don't trust him. We don't think that he can do it. We think that we can do a better job than he can. Psalms 91.2, back to Psalms 91, it says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and whom I trust. See, what are the areas in your life right now that you're not trusting God? Is it a relationship that you're in that you should not be in? Is it your future? Is it with your family? Is it with your studies? Is it with your finances? What is the area in your life that you just can't let go and trust God and say, God, you know what? I know that this burning bush, it's not burning up. And, and it's obviously because you're there because I've been walking by the same dried up tree for 40 years and it's been there. And I've seen other bushes burn up. But you're here and you're telling me to go pretty much into a death trap. And when I say, who am I, you say, it doesn't matter, I'm going with you. God is telling you today, trust me, surrender, because I am with you. I am going with you. We need to give up. We need to stop trying to carry those heavy loads and trust God. The second thing we need to do is we need to spend time with God every single day. We need to spend time with God. How can we expect to have constant fellowship with God? How can we expect to dwell with God peacefully? Because that's what that word dwell and abides means, that there's peace, that there's harmony. How can we have a good relationship with God if we're not spending time with God? I'm going to share a, a personal story. You know, um, right after my son Joshua was born, um, Caleb was one when Joshua was born. Okay, they're 15 months apart or something like that, something crazy like that. And, um, and, uh, and so you could imagine, I mean, this young couple with two babies in diapers, they didn't even know how to talk yet. We have to feed them. We have to do everything for them. We thought we were doing everything we should. I mean, our entire lives revolved around these two little babies. And then guess what? We started having, you know, arguments and we weren't getting along. And, and we went to talk to someone to help us to get some counseling. You know, pastors aren't supposed to go to counseling, right? And, um, and so I, I sat down with this amazing Christian man and, and he, the first thing after we told him all the stupid fights we were having and all the problems that we were having, he didn't talk about the problems. He said, hey, how much time are you guys spending together? Because you know what? We also took the two kids to counseling as well with us. And so we're here carrying the cane, ah, putting a bottle in the mouth. You know, my wife's like breastfeeding under that little blanket that's super awkward. Um, and so the guy's like saying hi. And my wife's like, you know, the baby's there. Like. And the doctor says, uh, the, this Christian counselor says, how much time are you guys spending with each other? We're like, oh, we're together all the time taking care of the kids. No, how much time, how much quality time are you spending with one another? When was the last time you went on a date? And we're like, uh, two years ago. And he's like, that's the problem. He's not the problem. She's not the problem. It's that you're not spending time with one another. And from that day on, every single week, we, we spend time together. We go out on dates and, and, and we go to fun places and sometimes the kids are like, oh, can we come too? We want to go with you. And we tell them, we love you so much that we're leaving you home tonight. <laughs> and it sounds funny, but, but it's the truth. We love those kids so much that mommy and papi need to spend quality time together without them. Focusing on each other. And so, so Mark, so you, you're telling me I have to go on dates with God you know, how does that even work? You know, you know how 
spending time with God looks, it's praying. It's talking to God. Oh, that's so simple. I pray every time I eat. Yeah, but is, are you spending other time with God? Are you talking to God? You know, it's worshiping God. Worship isn't, you don't, you don't need a band to worship. You don't need an electric guitar or a drum set to worship. You know what? Instead of screaming at everyone on your way to work on the expressway, put on some Christian music and talk to God. You can worship God in the bathroom as you're taking a shower. It doesn't matter. Spend time with God, talking to God, singing to God, thanking God. There's a lot of you, you're going to the gym, you're rocking out to some type of death metal music or like shake your booty on the club floor. Oh, come on, girl, you know, boom, boom, boom. I like that tight dress. Come on, jiggle it, all this stuff. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. How about if instead of listening to that garbage we're listening to songs that, that worship God. I mean, what's more exciting than a God that nothing is impossible for? And, and you're there, you know, benching 90 pounds and our God is greater. You know what I mean? Imagine that. If the songs and the, the words of God could inspire us to be better. Instead of listening to Rush or whatever it is that you listen to, listen to things about God. Listen to sermons. Spend time with God. It's never been easier. In this day and age, to read your Bibles, to listen to the word of God, to worship God, to talk to God, then right now, I mean, at our fingertips, our iPhones and our not-so-smartphones and all that stuff, I mean, they have the stuff on there. Spend time with God. Spend time with God. I, I love this verse in James 4.8. It says this, come near to God and he will come near to you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. The third thing that we need to do is we need to share God's love. All right? We need to surrender to God. We need to spend time with God. And then we need to share the love of God. We need to share what God's doing in our life. And you know what? I'm going to break it to you. Somebody's saying, hey, you know what, Mark? I just don't feel comfortable telling people about Jesus. You know, I keep that separate. It's, I'm not confrontational. Let me tell you something. Every single person that has ever been born in this earth, was created to share good news. And I'll prove it to you. Think about the last time you went to a concert, to a good restaurant, you bought a brand new pair of shoes or whatever, all right, you drank the newest Starbucks mix or whatnot. What do you do? You want to tell everybody about it. All right, you got to try that. Oh, my gosh, it tastes so good. Oh, you should have been there. You know, that concert was amazing, all right. God put that in you to share good news. And you know who the good news is? It's Jesus. Jesus is the good news. Mark 16, 15 says this. He told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. You know what I do every single time I'm at a restaurant and I'm trying something for the first time. I take a bite and after I take a bite, I'm trying to shove it in everyone else's mouth. I'm like, you have to try this. This is the most delicious thing I've ever eaten. And then you know what I do? I take a picture of it. I Instagram it. I put it on Facebook. I tweet it. I'm texting it to people. Like, dude, you wish you'd be here right now. Right? Me and George have like this relationship. Whenever we're eating something amazing. All right. One of my sayings in life is that everything's better with an egg on top. So wherever I go, I ask them, hey, can you put an egg on top of that? And so I send pictures to George. I'm like, George, look what I got with an egg on top of it. All right, God created me that way to share good news, to share the things that are happening in my life. And God put that natural desire inside of each and every one of us, not to put it on Facebook, not to put it on Instagram, is to tell people about Jesus, is to share the good news that's happening in your life. You want to abide with God, you want to dwell with God, invest in the, in the kingdom of God by telling other people what God is doing in your life. 
And it comes natural. Yes, maybe you're not confrontational. You know what? Instead of tweeting stuff about, you know, the restaurant you went to or that you saw planes with your little kids yesterday or whatever. You know what? Say, you know what? I just went to church and this is what God said. You know, I was going through a tough time and this is what God did in my life. You know, for the past couple of weeks, I've been bumping into people at church that I've never seen or that I haven't seen in church for a really long time or people I went to high school with. The other day, the owner of this restaurant that I like going to, last time I preached, this, the owner of this restaurant that I like going to, I'm like out there greeting people. All of a sudden, I see the owner of this restaurant that I like going to that I tweet about showing up to church. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, bro, who invited you? He's like, you did. Last night you said, hey, I'm preaching, come to church tomorrow. And I showed up and I, he brought his wife and his two kids to church. All right, share the good news of God. God can use all that silly stuff that you're playing, you know, uh, Candy Crush or whatever it is you're doing. How about if you just start, you know, using that for the glory of God as well and do all the other silly things that you like to do on there also. You know, another way that we can share the love of God is actually by loving one another. You know, Steve talked about it, and, and we just had a cool God moment back there. He's like, hey, you know, this is what I'm reading. And I'm like, no way. I'm like, look at my iPad right now, what's on here. This is part of my message. I'm going to talk about the same exact thing at the end. You know what? There's a lot of us that we're Christian, and we don't get along. Maybe with someone that's here in this room. Maybe with our brother, our sister, our mom, our dad. How can we say that we love God if we don't love each other? John 13 says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Another way that we share the love of God as well is by loving those people that hurt us. See, I was talking about pain in the beginning. I was talking about hurt in the beginning. I was talking about, man, there's people that have hurt you, some of you that are hurting. And whenever I say that word hurt, a face comes to your head. You know what Jesus says? you got to forgive them. You want to be free from that pain? It starts by forgiving them. I love the way Matthew 5 says, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friends, and it's unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond by praying for them. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun, to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is this, grow up. You're God's children. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. These are the words of Jesus for us today. You want to experience the power of Jesus in your life, you need to begin to dwell with him. You need to begin to spend quality time with God. You need to surrender yourselves to God. Christians, you need to surrender to God. There's things in your life right now that are building a wall between you and God. And you know what it is. And God is saying, hey, you know what? These promises in Psalms 91, this song that Moses wrote, he didn't write it thousands of years ago for him and a couple people in the middle of the desert. He wrote it for us today to have a burning bush experience in our life. In the middle of our routine, God wants to show up and show you how powerful he is. 
and how mighty he is and how much he loves you because that's what it's all about. It's how much he loves you. How much he wants to bless you and your family. How 10,000 will fall on one side, 1,000 will fall off the other and it will not come near you. How he wants to protect you. That's for you. Maybe you're here today and, and you need God to do something big in your life. This thing that you're confronting right now in your life, it's bigger than anything you've ever been through. Man, maybe the devil's done a number on you. And you're hurting and everyone knows about it and it's embarrassing or whatever it is. It hurts. And after I told you God has a plan for you, the devil has a plan for you. And you're like, yeah, he has a plan for me. He's trying to kill me. He's trying to destroy. He's trying to rob me. He's trying to take my kids. My kids, you know, they live in my house, but they're not really mine anymore. They're, they're of this world. My kids are rebelling. Whatever it may be, the devil has a plan for you. But God has a better and bigger plan for your life. And I love what Genesis 50, 20 says this. You tried to harm me, but God made it turn out for the best so that he can save all these people as he is doing. Those, that tragedy, that sad thing that you're going through, that trial that you're going through, God can turn that thing upside down right now and use it for his glory and use it so that people can see that what the world said was impossible. What people, they, they've written you off. There's some of you that your family thinks you're nuts, that, that you're a lost case. You know what? God can turn that thing that you're going through. For his glory so that the people around you can say, hey, you know what? It had to be God. You know, I have this really cool story. And with this, I'll close. A couple weeks ago, I was on the phone with um, our general contractor. You guys know that we're building uh, a church soon. And I'm on the phone with our general contractor, our insurance agent. Um, and we're trying to get this policy, this builder's risk policy, and it's super, like, stressful, annoying stuff, you know, just all this paperwork and stuff. And I'm on the phone for, like, an hour with them. And, and then after that, at, at 11 o'clock, I had another appointment with a pastor in Canada, all right, whose church is falling apart. He started a couple years ago with a couple hundred people. There's, like, 20 people left. And he's like, I, I want to quit. And I'm telling him not to quit and all this stuff for thousands of miles away. And, uh, and then after I, I hang up and I, I walk out of my office for a breath of fresh air, Steve comes up to me and says, hey, I'm going to go visit someone at the hospital. And usually he just says that and leaves and I'm like, cool, man, you know, we're praying for you, we're backing you up. And, and, and this day I said, hey, you know what, Steve, I'm, I'm going to go with you. And I show up to the hospital to pray for someone who was in great spirits. All right, she was hurting, going through a test in her life. And, and, uh, but she was there preaching to people at the hospital, reading her Bible, reading like another book and stuff. And... And, uh, you know, we pray for her, we laugh with her and stuff. And, and actually right when I got off the elevator, I bumped into a girl I went to high school with. And we kind of shot the breeze real quick and left. And when I'm walking back into the elevator, all right, um, there's someone at the end of the hall going like this to me. And I'm like, are they calling a doctor? I'm not a doctor. And she keeps going like this. And, and I walk up to her. And it was someone that I hadn't seen since 1996. That's the year I graduated from high school. It was the parent of one of my friends that I went to high school with. And, and she's like, you're not going to believe this. Um, my husband's mom is dying in this room, and uh, she's super, like, anxious, and she doesn't have peace, and I've been praying next to her. This is someone who knows about God, doesn't really go to church, doesn't have a connection with the church, and the only person I could think about was you, but I didn't know how to get in touch with you. And after praying with her, after thinking, man, I have to talk to Mark, I walk out of the room, and you walk out of the elevator. 
and then I saw you talking with this girl, and, and then I saw you go into another room, and I asked the girl, is that guy's name Mark? And she's like, yeah, how do you know him? And she tells him. She's like, I, I have goosebumps right now as I'm telling you this because this has to be God. This is someone, again, that doesn't really go to church, knows about God or whatever, but doesn't really go to church. And she's like, can you pray for her so she can have peace, so she can die and go and be with God. And this woman, when I walked into the room, she's like, you know, and, and I put my hands on her. I ministered to her and I prayed for her. And when I left, she was like, relax. She was at peace. And a couple, a day later, she passed away. Um, but God had a purpose that day. Not just for me, but you see, I, I told our friend that comes to our church that now she's fine, she's here, she's serving again. I said, hey, you know what? You were going through a trial, you were hurting, and maybe you asked God, God, why me? And this is why that day God had you in the hospital because he wanted me to come and pray for this lady and to show this family that God is real and that God is big and that God is stronger, and that God is sovereign, and that God knows what's up in the world, and he's in control. And if I wouldn't have talked to the GC, to the insurance agent, and to this pastor that wanted to jump off a bridge, and I'm like super stressed out, and I walk out for a breath of fresh air from, from my office, and that breath of fresh air was nothing more than to go pray for someone at the hospital. But it was because God wanted me to be there so that this woman could see God answer a prayer. I need to talk to Mark, and then Mark walks out of the elevator. A person she hadn't seen for, I don't even know how old I am since I was 18 years old. And so you may be going through something right now and God's going to use that for his glory. God's going to use that to show you that he's awesome and that he's in control. And what the devil intended for harm, he will intend for good and he will make it good in your life right now. I'm going to invite the band to come out and we're going to sing, our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is higher than any other and I believe that God is going to set some people free today that God you're going to have a burning bush encounter with God and your life will never be the same but here's the thing you got to make a choice am I going to live in constant fellowship with God am I going to surrender because you got to surrender you know there's a lot of you you're going to heaven and you're going to live forever in heaven with Jesus, but your life here on earth kind of sucks right now. And the reason that it sucks is because you're not surrendering to God. Because you keep holding on to all this junk and you're like, yeah, you know, God does it for someone else but doesn't do it for me. He can do it for you. Not only can he do it to you, but he wants to do it for you. So I'm going to invite everyone to stand up. And if you're here today... And maybe the first step that you need to take is just give your life to Jesus. You've never given your life to Jesus. You've tried everything that this world has to offer. You've done everything your way. But you've never really said, Jesus, here's my life. I surrender to you the same way Mark surrendered when his uncle was beating him up. The world is beating me up. I surrender. Jesus, help me. If you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to invite you right now to come here. I want to pray for you. If you're here today and you are ready to take this step of faith and say, Jesus, here is my life. Here is my family. Here is my heart. Here is my everything. I want to have this burning bush encounter with you. I want to receive all the blessings in Psalms 91. And now I understand the reason that I'm not blessed is because I'm not letting you bless me. If you're ready for God to bless your life, 
and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to come up and we're going to cheer you up all the way up here. We're going to worship God and thank God for the work that he's doing in your life. And so I invite you to come forward today. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian. You've given your life to Jesus. But today, the decision that you need to make is to recommit your life to Christ. It's to say, God, you know what? I gave my life to you, but I'm not dwelling with you. I'm doing my own thing. And when you show up, I'm not there. I'm wandering. I I'm playing with you. I'm playing church. You know, I have one foot in the things of God and another foot in the things of this world. But today, I am ready for you to turn the things that the devil intended for wrong to turn them into good and to turn them into right. And so I invite you to come up. I want to pray with you so that God can begin to bless your life today. I invite you to come forward and take hold of the promises of God.